Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. One year on from Liverpool's Premier League title tramp, we're going to look back on Jurgen Klopp's dominant Reds. Plus, with news, Jack's the lad for Pep amid a £100 million bid from Man City, as well as interest in Harry Kane. How do the Reds go about wrestling back the title next season? Well, providing the answers, we have Theo Squires, Marcus Banks and David Lynch. Guys, I trust that you're all keeping well and... Theo, I'll, I'll come to you first up. Only a year since Liverpool won the title. It feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, it does. Like So much has happened in the past year. just think we were watching it, weren't we, uh, on live on our YouTube channel, watching City Chelsea as it unfolded and it all happened. It's just crazy to think what has happened in the 12 months since. Like If you'd said then that we'd still be only just getting to a situation where fans could be back inside Anfield, uh, Liverpool would completely miss out on the title, only just get top four, that they'd lose all these centre-backs. And, well, you know, it's just been a crazy year for Liverpool. At least um, up the edge of it, we can say they made Champions League football and we can have this little moment going, God, they were really good 12 months ago, weren't they? But yeah, hopefully in 12 months' time, we'll be looking back on another title win. Oh, I hope so, yeah, fingers crossed. But uh, Lynchy looking at it, and as I say somehow it's it's only a year ago. It feels like a different age, that side that Jurgen Klopp had romping towards the title. No one was able to kind of get close to them. But then, as Theo says, the year we've had since has, has been even crazier. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that sort of element of the, the football side of things and how much changed and, and, and the season that followed it sort of didn't really meet anyone's expectations and was so different because of the injuries and, and, and that just defined everything really, didn't it? But I think... I think what makes it feel even more distant is everything that's going on outside of it, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're hopefully in this country sort of edging towards the end of of this pandemic or, or, or getting to a point where we can sort of, you know, live with it. And we've been very fortunate with the with the vaccine rollout. And I think that's just, you know, sort of coloured the way that the, the whole year has been really, hasn't it? And it's, it, you, you know, you look back and I was seeing some videos today of, you know, the celebrations outside Anfield and you look at that and I remember thinking at the time, OK, that's... You know, it was fantastic, but also, you know, you had that little bit of anxiety around it and stuff like that. But we're, we're, we're thankfully, we're moving away from that sort of scenario now. And I think, I think, you know, the, the main reflection really is on the, on the on the winning the title at the time. It was so emotional and, and, and 30 years of hurt and, and, and that coming to an end was so huge. And I think now, you know, we've had we've had a, a season of, of COVID football essentially in between with with all the injuries, like we mentioned. And, and that's been, you know, quite difficult to watch at times as well with no fans. And I think, Everyone's sort of refocused now, aren't they? As we edge hopefully towards a bit of normality to maybe Liverpool doing it again and, and having fans in there and having that full experience. I think we're, we're far enough away from it now for, for people to start considering that, you know, that let's try and win it again and, and, and have that big party in Anfield that we missed out on. Yeah, that was, I suppose, the, the disappointment, wasn't it, Marcus, that obviously fans were outside Anfield and, and celebrating, but the fact that they had to do it during Project Restart and it wasn't able to sort of get wrapped up in in, in sort of front of a full house and the title not actually be lifted in front of a full house either. 
Yeah, definitely, and and it go and and even the parade. Like, I mean, I I miss the um, the Madrid parade because I, I was in. Well, I never had a, had a ticket for the game. I slept on a hill in Madrid after the <laughs> absor- absorbing that night. But you know, even looking at the, the videos of the parade in Liverpool from from afar, it was it was absolutely blown away. And that's obviously something I was really looking forward to once it once it started. You know, edging closer that oh yeah, we're gonna do it and. The fans are starting to sing and stuff like that, and that United game is really the point where I thought, yeah, you know what, we are going to do it, and that the parade, and it was one of the the main things I was looking forward to, and and Liverpool supporters have, have been robbed at that moment, really, but you know, hopefully that can give give the team some impetus to you know go and do it next year, and and hopefully we've got full crowds and we can we can celebrate almost two titles in one. Yeah, definitely. It's just there, Marks, and and you saying there, obviously the fans was kind of robbed at the moment probably fair to say the team were as well, weren't they? We saw sort of the lift it gave them of celebrating after Madrid. And I mean, even I suppose the pain of Kiev, how how that spurred them on and the emotional connection this team has with the supporters. So hopefully, as you say, next season can kind of be the return to normality and return to Liverpool dominance. Yeah, definitely. And and it, it even goes just beyond the whole... Of course, the title lift was such a huge moment, but there was, there was so many moments in, in the tail end of that season and, and this season that... You know that fans deserved deserved to be in that ground, and the player deserved to share moments moments like that with the players. I, I was fortunate enough to uh, to be at one of the games for the the Firmino header at Anfield, and you know you could you could see in his face and he, he sprints towards the cop, and I, I think there was like what three thousand fans in there. But even that moment was just like it made you it made you feel you know how much you do value the the goal. I love that that's the Salah goal, the counter attack goal against uh, Man United, and he took his top off, and that was that was just a, a pure moment of euphoria, and, and that's been being robbed for the whole season, and then obviously the pinnacle of that is the title lift and being robbed at that moment. It, it's not fair, and you know you could say that that probably does factor into a bit of Liverpool's struggles in this season too, because how how, how do you you know pick yourself up after having such a such a hard it's not even just one season it's three seasons of hard work you have the Kiev heartbreak the Madrid triumph and then you go and you know best this Manchester City team but don't get to celebrate it in style and, and have a, a proper award for all your hard work it's obviously got to be mentally taxing yeah, so definitely. some of the loyal servants as well because we've seen the, the send-off Gini Wijnaldum's got and that's with just what 10,000 fans and we know it didn't go as Liverpool would have wanted they would have much rather been challenging for silverware and all this but they did lose some loyal servants at the end of last year. You think of like Adam Lallana, Dejan Lovren. And it's like they didn't get to really be on the pitch. They like Lallana obviously extended his contract so he could be part of the celebrations. But I don't think he got on, did he, after Project Restart? He was on new sub for the one game when they were getting their hands on the trophy. Dejan Lovren, he's had a, a roller coaster Liverpool career, but he was a great player when he was on the pitch. He was on form. You think these players have been such a big part of the Urban Klopp journey. And from right from the very beginning to just get into the Champions League, just finishing in the top four, even with Lovren for the Borussia Dortmund game, having the lows of Spurs when he was taken off inside half an hour um, at Wembley, and then to keep coming back for him to be man of the match in a Champions League final, even though they lost, and to still keep on rising to get all these trophies. And it's like, well, they're never going to get back, come back and get those moments, are they? Because even if there was a situation, I know that last year they were talking, we will do the parade sometime, but that's probably been and gone now. But even if there was a situation where they could do a parade saying this is this title win as well, you're not going to really be bringing back Adam Lallana, Dejan Lovren. You're not going to be bringing back Jeannie Wijnaldum to enjoy it with the fans. Wijnaldum was very lucky that he could have this moment with 10,000 fans. But imagine what that would have been if it was a sold-out Anfield. If they were allowed to really enjoy the moment and pay tribute to a loyal servant. 
this one where 10,000 did a great job to basically show one player how much he has meant and how much he's contributed for five years for an entire Liverpool fan base. It's just a shame that some other players haven't been able to enjoy that along the way. Yeah, and Dave, I suppose looking back kind of on that season, there were so many great moments. I think the Mohamed Salah one really sort of does spring to mind, but even the, the win over Crystal Palace during Project Restart, sort of the, the icing on, on top of the cherry on the cake for sort of Liverpool in the way in which they were taking this title by storm. I just wonder now over sort of the last year, how much these injuries to the players and that psychological impact of the fans not being able to kind of be there for Liverpool may well have kind of stunted the momentum that was building around the club ever since reaching that first Champions League final. It felt as though things were growing to that moment. And this was more than just 11 on the pitch. It was a whole club coming together. But then the pandemic has kind of wiped that slate clean and it'll be going from a, a standing start again, will it? Maybe. I, I think I, I do think it's worth mentioning actually on that, that, that at least, you know, when Liverpool fans do look back on that title winning season, I think it's fair to say that, that, that you know, the Liverpool only needed one more win in the after the after Project Restart to effectively seal the title and um, and they did that. So I think, you know, as much as we look back on it, on it with sadness because of the way that season ended and he didn't get the parade and things like that, you know, it is worth mentioning that there were so many memorable moments where there were fans in there and, you know, thank goodness for that. You know, thank goodness Liverpool didn't end the 30-year wait maybe last season when, when it was, you know, completely basically played the entire season without fans. I think that's, you know, it's worth mentioning that there were those iconic moments and, and Liverpool basically did win the title in front of fans. So that that was great. In terms of what you say about the momentum, I think, I, I, I think you know, regardless of whether fans have been there or not and that, that you know, incredibly forgettable season that last campaign was, um, you know, had taken place, I think, you know, I think... I, I think the injuries would have caused them problems regardless. I think it would have been, you know, maybe it would have been less of a scrap to finish in top four. They wouldn't have probably had that six games on, on the bounce losing at Anfield with, with supporters in there, I don't think. But but I think the season would have been difficult anyway. I think in terms of it holding the momentum, I think you've only got to look at, you know, maybe Manchester City, for example, as a team who, who've had a little dip in the, in the season where Liverpool did win the league um, and, and then have come roaring back straight away off the back of it. You know, that, that can happen to teams. They can have those dips and, and come straight back. You know, Chelsea have done it a couple of times in the Premier League era, had, had a season off effectively and then and then come straight back into title contention. So I think I think the Liverpool, they've got to think, OK, it was just a freak season with all those injuries and, and without the fans. And, and, and you know, it's it's not something that's going to repeat and, and not allow it to sort of halt the momentum and, and just ensure that basically from next season, they, they come back with a, with a full squad, hopefully, you know, hopefully just get a bit more fortune with injuries, add a couple more players to positions where they need it and then just, you know, crack on again and be, be straight back in there challenging for the title again. I think I think that is a realistic aim. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It was an interesting point, isn't it? The the year off thing that definitely Chelsea have had a number of times in the Roman Abramovich era and maybe Man City for the season in which Liverpool did win the, the title, albeit last season's points total. What did they finish on? 86 points wasn't sort of the highest mark that they've reached, certainly under Pep Guardiola. But I just wonder with Liverpool how realistic it is to just sort of say that things can flip back like that because they don't have the deep pockets of Chelsea and Manchester City. Everything sort of for Liverpool seemingly has to be going right. Players have to avoid injury. The fans play their part. Brilliant manager, brilliant recruitment. And everything kind of has to have aligned for these sort of perfect runs of form we, we've seen in those two seasons where Liverpool, first of all, came so close to winning it. And then, of course, did win the title. How easy it's going to be to just snap back to those levels. And, and let's not forget just how brilliant 
that side was that, that won the Premier League title? Not was. Is. Most of this squad is still going strong. Only a couple of those players have left. And granted, you've got a few of them who are edging close to 30 now. But in some cases, that can be the peak of their careers. Like Mohamed Salah, for example, he's going to be in the same boat as Messi and Ronaldo, isn't he? He's not going to suddenly dip at 32. You look at the condition he's in now. He could easily be doing what Ronaldo's doing at the Euros at age 36. And it's one where Liverpool have got such a good team, but they've had injuries before. Like we think of Alisson, he was injured for a large chunk of, uh, was it against Norwich on the opening day and all this. And they still won the title. They've still had players who have missed games. Henderson's missed games. Fabinho's missed games. The only issue last year was it was an entire position. And then the team couldn't adapt to that. Because when they put, say, Fabinho or Henderson at centre-back, they'd go and get injured. And it just killed the whole stability of the team. But this was because they'd had no real summer break because they had to have the project restart, have the later end of the season, have a really short pre-season, and that's when it all built up and the injuries stack up. And they've been playing a lot of football anyway. There are always going to be injuries, and it impacted the whole Premier League. It wasn't just Liverpool. They were just one of the teams that were stunned worse. So the big issue is how well these players recover from the long-term layoffs. Like Jordan Henderson, we've only seen glimpses, but he's looking he's in decent shape for England. Gareth Southgate says he's in decent shape. But it's the big question mark of what level is Van Dijk coming back to? What level is Joe Gomez coming back to? Joel Matip. But if they come back and they can reach similar levels, there's no reason to think Liverpool won't be fine. But they should be right up there challenging. And with the fans back in Anfield, like obviously I've been at Wembley for these games and it's 22,500 fans. And we know how temperamental an England crowd can be. Like they're booing at the end of the Scotland game. Liverpool fans are just going to be made up to be back inside Anfield. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They are going to be making such a racket week in, week out. They only dropped points in one home game when they won the title. I wouldn't be surprised if they just went and did that again. They went and won every single home game because the fans are going to give them such a boost. It makes such a difference to players like Roberto Firmino. It is that much of a game changer. It's why we talk about it being a famous atmosphere. It's why they beat Barcelona 4-0 when they were 3-0 down and all these other famous Anfield European nights. You can say, oh, injuries and that, they might not get back to the same levels, but all they've got to do is keep the spine of the squad fit for the majority as you get in most seasons, and they'll be right up there challenging again, rest assured. Theo Squires, the optimist, he is it. He <laughs> is within. He is within. <laughs> Marcus, what's your take? Is it, I suppose, taking taking Theo's point, is it, a, I suppose, just a, a missed year, a year that we wipe from our minds and memories and look back and think, actually, since winning the title, Liverpool have now strengthened the core of the team with Canate, Thiago and Diogo Jota all coming into the side and they are building and ready to go again? Or do you do you share my concerns maybe that it is going to be an almighty ask to get back to sort of 90 plus points next season? Yeah, I think it, I think it, it, it is a tough one, but um, the science point to that on, on paper, Liverpool, sh- you know, should be challenging whether they're going to reach that quite that level. You know, as you said before, City only managed 86 points this season. So you, you'd think with the fans coming back, but, but also it, it is, it, it was an unprecedented amount of injuries to centre back. There was, I can't even, I lost count of how many centre back combinations do you think it was over 20 in the end? Um, yeah, I think it was 52. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it was ridiculous and it, it was unprecedented. And you, you'd look at you take a, a key player like Virgil Van Dijk out of the team, and and one 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 you know player out of the team of his quality is going to cause issue. Never mind an entire position. And and I think I think Liverpool's performance is in that run into you know finish third and and finish five points behind Manchester United. Who everyone said have had you know such a 
amazing season under Solskjaer, but yet Liverpool only finished five points behind them. You know, I think it's, you know, there, there is reason for optimism and, and Klopp loves loves players having a full pre-season. I mean, you think that Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip are all going to get a full pre-season under the belt, Ibrahim Akanate too, with the likes of Harvey Elliott coming back into, you know, inject some new bloods and then Liverpool, you know, likely to make a few more signings too. Then I, I don't see why, there's no reason why Liverpool can't, can't be up there again. It's just whether... That's enough to compete with City. We're obviously making some big moves in the transfer market themselves. Yeah, nice point. Let's move on to that then. Um, Lynchy, come to you with that. Man City making moves this week. They've reportedly had a £100 million bid for Harry Kane knocked back by Tottenham. And today we read that they've got a deal for Jack Grealish all lined up to ready to go after the Euros. Another £100 million from this, the club who Pep Guardiola said, I think only at the end of May that we've not got the money to be spending, but it looks as though City are ready to go again. Yeah, I think it suggests that um, FFP is probably finished then, doesn't it? Um, if, if these sort of figures are being bandied around, which is which is bad news for Liverpool. And I think bad news for Liverpool's owners who sort of came into the Premier League hoping that would, you know, give them the basis to compete on a regular basis. I think, to be honest, you know, it'd be, it'd be great, wouldn't it? I think from a purely neutral perspective to see two players of that quality go into a Manchester City side that's already already absolutely ridiculously good and, and has one of the best managers in the world. Um, you know, to to see that, you know, I just think it'll, it'll give them instant improvement in certain areas. I think Harry Kane is, you know, probably going to end up breaking the Premier League goal scoring record, isn't he? And, and, and City, if they've had one flaw in recent years, it's that they've lacked a number nine. And then Grealish just adds to the ridiculous reserves of attacking midfielders with with quality that they've got, and he just you can just see him fitting right in there. So. I think you know from that perspective, it'd be fascinating to see how they would got would they would get on, and I think it would massively strengthen City. I, I do think there's a you know a conversation to be had about you know it's slightly worrying for the competitiveness of the Premier League if if a team is going to be able to do this consistently. You know, Pep Guardiola said Manchester City have got no money. Um, if they're going to end up spending two hundred fifty million pound on on two you know absolute England stars um, to to add to their starting eleven or to their squad that's already really strong. Then I just I don't see in the long term how how anyone competes with them. To be honest, you know Liverpool have got a lot of money in in relative terms. You know they're a very rich club. They can't get near anything like that. Um, you know they they can't be spending those sort of sums. And and I just think you know we've got to be careful. That, okay, maybe you know I know City fans will push back on the idea of FFP and they don't think it should exist. And that's entirely fair that they believe that. But I do think there's got to be some element of financial control there because I think. You know, if City could just keep doing this and they, they keep buying the best players from the other Premier League teams, you can't compete with them. You know, we're very quickly going to get down the road where we're in a you know Bayern Munich situation in in Germany, aren't we? Where it's it's dominant, it's not even worth putting a bet on at the start of the season who will win the title. It's it's done and dusted before a ball is even kicked. I think that's really worrying because one, you know the Premier League. For all the things we criticise it about, and, and you know there is a lot there to criticise the greed and, and the way that the money doesn't filter back through the pyramid or, or not enough, things like that. I, I do think you know there was in the last eight years, I think is it five went five different winners in the last eight years or in, in the last nine years maybe, um, you know, and that that's something that, that English football fans should cherish, even though they obviously hate when the team who they don't support wins it. I think it's a really positive thing and. You know, the idea that Manchester City are going to go and do that now when they've already got such strength and depth is, um, yeah, fascinating, but but slightly worrying, I think, for the, the long-term competitiveness of the, the Premier League. 
Yeah, it's three title wins in, in four years for them now. And I suppose even adding to, to those worries and the worries I had before, Theo, so cheer us up, is that Man City may be looking to tread a similar path to Liverpool, reach their first Champions League final, ended in defeat. And now if the immediate response is to ala Liverpool in off the back of Kiev going and bringing in Alisson and Fabinho, they're going to go and bring in Kane and Grealish. It's ominous signs, isn't it? Um, potentially, because it's a very good Manchester City squad. It always is a very good Manchester City squad. And even without those players, granted, they do need a number nine. And they've needed a number nine since Sergio Aguero first started having his injury issues. But they've already got Foden, Sterling, uh, Mares, all these players. Who, they go in and do a great job. And then yeah, the reports say, oh, they'd be quite happy to, say, sacrifice Mares or a Sterling so they could bring in Harry Kane. It's almost suggesting a change of style from Man City, though. Maybe going back to Guardiola's uh, tiki-taka at Barcelona, where it's not going to be as much the Liverpool rock and roll, you know, counter-attacking pace out wide. It's just going to be get Grealish, Foden on the ball and keep possession for as long as possible. You've got De Bruyne there as a playmaker and just pass teams to death. And Harry Kane's in the box to get on the end of it. It's a very different style to how Liverpool play under Jurgen Klopp. And then it's which style is best. Uh, I think in recent seasons, we've seen Jürgen Klopp's style being really effective and it can still do the job. Like If Liverpool need to replace these players, they're not going to need to spend £100 million to bring them in. Like We saw them get Diogo Jota for £40-45 million. Part of the reason why Grealish and Kane are going for so much is that Premier League English pedigree. It's like that costs more. and It's always going to be a case that if Man City are after your top English players, they're going to have to spend that sort of figure. So I think it doesn't stop Liverpool strengthening when the time comes, when they need to replace Amane, Firmino, Salah, or any of these players. The only concern you've got there is there will be a time when Liverpool need to bring in English players. Granted, the, their approach to the market was to say, go for a Harvey Elliott so they can have them in the academy and bring them through and have that depth there. But the homegrown rules are still there. Like FFP might not be counting, but the homegrown rules are still very much there. You still have to fill that quota. And it's just a tough one where if the best English talent is just going to be snapped up by Manchester City, so Liverpool have to go abroad, what are they going to do? But we've seen that with the centre-backs already this season, where um, Ibrahim Akanate, Liverpool went and got him for £36 million. That was who they wanted. Fair enough. But they've been linked with Ben White for a good 18 months now. And if he's, what, going Arsenal potentially for £45, £50 And that's a player who's got one season of Premier League football, only played once or twice for England. It makes that much of a difference in the market. It is fifteen, twenty million pounds, and that's where Liverpool can fall behind when they're trying to strengthen, when they're trying to keep the squad in contention. If the owners don't have deep enough pockets, which I think we can all agree they don't at the moment. Uh, if only there was some sort of European Super League where all the top teams were in it together and they're getting much more of the pot and they're all on a level playing field. But uh, we'll save that debate for another day. Yeah, well, if you're for the Super League, you're going to get kicked out. Yeah, you're going to get kicked out very quickly. <laughs> and also, Ben White's a fantastic player. Marcus, what, what, what's your what, what's your thoughts? Concerned as to sort of City and I suppose this change of approach from them if they do bring in Jack Grealish because he's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't he, for the two seasons he's been back in the Premier League with Villa. Should be concerned for the competitiveness of the league and. While financial fair play, I don't think was 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 the best thing. There does need to be some sort of. I'm not sure what that is, and I don't really think UEFA are the best, you know, company to to implement that because you know they they're just as clueless for the stuff that they do. But I think there does need to be some sort of regulation to stop you know deals like this happening and, and make it a bit fairer. But the Grealish one, I mean, he's obviously a fantastic player, but I, I'm 
I did strike me a bit as a bit odd that that City, you know, I want to spend hundred million on. Um, maybe it is homegrown that that is the main reason for it. But you know, they do have an abundance of attacking midfielders anyway, and and the likes of you know Bernardo Silva, who hasn't really had that much of a look in to go and spend hundred million on Grealish, who you know possibly wouldn't even get into their strongest team. Is a bit is a bit strange. I think the the Cayman obviously makes a lot of sense. He's you know tailor made for City, and and he probably will break the goal record. He's everything they need really but the Grealish one does does make a is a little bit strange to me I think he, he is a player that flourishes being the best player in, in a good team I think if he went somewhere like Arsenal he would he would really thrive but City surrounded by all those superstars I'm not sure it's the best environment to bring the best out of him um, and especially even the 100 million fee you know if, if that that sort of fee is being talked about for someone like Erlen Haaland I think that would probably make about a bit more sense, just in my opinion. You know, play play two up front with Kane and Haaland. If you're spending 100 million, I think that would be that would be a, a, a better move. But yeah, it's it's concerning. But Liverpool, thank you for my days, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool have, um, you know, the Canate signing already. You know, solves a key issue in the summer, and and it's 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 a long time to go in the transfer window. So, and Liverpool's squad is already strong enough. So it, it's concerning. But you know, it, it, I don't think it guarantees the title. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Erling Haaland is the, the next one we're going to move on to, Dave. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's not just Man City splashing the, the money round. Chelsea seems set on trying to get Erling Haaland. It does seem to sort of be toing and froing at the moment. Paper talk and Dortmund saying they're not going to sell this summer and will hold out till next year when his release clause comes in. But if he's not going to go, one from Dortmund certainly looks like heading off in, in Jaden Sancho and Manchester United strengthening there. So not just City, but both Chelsea and United as well looking to spend big. Yeah, another one where you sort of think, you know, the, the, the impact of COVID in, in financial terms just doesn't seem to apply to some clubs, does it? It's, um, you know, it's, with Chelsea, I think with Haaland, you know, that that is the one area I think they definitely do need to strengthen. I think that Chelsea team will not challenge for the title unless they get a, an attacker of real, real quality. In, um, and, and Haaland's definitely that. Um, you know, I think they did really well to win the Champions League. And it seems weird to talk about the Champions of Europe in terms of not being able to challenge for the domestic league. But I do think... You know, Havertz, Werner, Ziyech, um, Hudson-Odoi, um, Pulisic, you know, none of those you could rely on as a consistent goal threat next season. That is the one thing that that, that Chelsea team lacks. So if they got Haaland, I think that would make them a, you know, a real challenger next season. You know, whether they can do the deal, because obviously Dortmund, you know, have got the stronger hand at the moment with the release clause not really sort of becoming active till next season. So it could take an awful lot of money. And if they really want to stick to the guns, um, because they're going to sell, probably going to sell Sancho. Then you know that that could make that interesting. Hopefully, you know, hopefully Chelsea from a Liverpool perspective. Hopefully Chelsea can't get it over the line for that reason. I think with Sancho, uh, you know, again an interesting one. Definitely something United need is is, is a little bit of that quality out wide. Um, you know, I think Rashford plays out there frequently, doesn't he? But I don't think he's quite as consistent as he would like. You know, in terms of delivering from the left hand side and with Sancho as well. Gives you the option of coming in off the right, puts a bit less pressure on. Maybe Greenwood, who is a huge talent, I think, but but you know he's still a very young player, still going to be inconsistent. So if you want to challenge for the title, you need a little bit more. I think the one worry for, that, that doesn't maybe get talked about with Sancho, and I think you know I think he's brilliant. When I've watched him at Dortmund, watched him with England, really really like him as a player. I would be slightly concerned if I was Manchester United and I was about to pay what 90, 90 million something around there for for a player like that. Um, that 
that recently Bundesliga imports who, who play in the forward areas haven't you know completely smashed it in England, have they? I think you know you look at Havertz and Werner as really good examples of, of players who you know were consistently scoring goals in that league and have struggled uh, since they moved. I think I think Holland's maybe a different case because I think he's just a, a freak of nature, isn't he? And absolutely. One he's been built in a factory, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's made to score goals, and I think he will do that wherever he goes. But Sancho, I think, you know, you bring him back to the Premier League and in, in, in a league where he will maybe get less space and, and less time. You know, will he find it as easy to get his goals? I think that would be maybe my one concern if I was Manchester United supporter. But it's, you know, from from the perspective of these clubs, it's it's exciting times, and it to be spending this big money on on big name players, and I'm sure you know. It's easy for us to do them down, and I'm, and you know I still retain confidence that if Liverpool sign a lesser name, that they'll still do very well for them. But you know, it, it, there are still question marks, aren't there, over over these players and, and how this summer is going to pan out? It's um, it's an interesting one. I think you'd probably rather be in the position of signing the big name players and feeling like you're going to get bang for bang for your buck almost than than being in Liverpool's position where there's there's going to be question marks. That's it, isn't it, Theo? It's like all the rich kids going out and splashing their money in Liverpool, having their nose pressed up against the glass, watching them all in there buying these high-ticket items. And Liverpool thinking, well, we've got Curtis Jones, he can replace Genie Wijnaldum. We've got Harvey Elliott, he can come in and supply the sort of supplement the, the, the forward line. Do Liverpool's owners need to... We, we said they, they've not got the wealth of Man City's, but they're still very, very wealthy owners. Do they need to put their hands deep into their pockets and make a big big statement this summer? Or is it a case of continuing to do what Liverpool do, box clever and make what might look like unpopular decisions? Felipe Coutinho leaving, no one was all too happy about that and him not really being replaced like for like. Yet after that, Liverpool went on to this new level. What's your take? Um, well, if you go through the teams that we've just been listing with Man City, Chelsea, United, can anyone say what their strongest front three, front four is? Yeah, there are so many good players there and they have got that depth, but they don't have that breakaway front three that you'll say everyone else is just on the bench. And I think it's almost become a problem for Liverpool that Diogo Jota was the first player who's really ever had that chance of breaking up the front three. It's what you can see why Liverpool owners don't want to, even if they have the money to go and spend a hundred million on even a Jaden Sancho, because does he start ahead of Salah? Does he start ahead of Sadio Mane? Liverpool's front three are very good. You could say um, if they were in a market where they could get Harry Kane, you might start him ahead of Roberto Firmino. But Klopp's got so much faith in the players he's got, and Liverpool have to be clever with how they go and recruit options. But they've got this very set start in eleven. I think all the big four teams that you can say, you know what Liverpool's strongest 11 would be if everyone's fit, everyone's on form. And you can't really say that for any of the others. Like we've not mentioned Anthony Martial for United yet. And there's just so much depth in in all these clubs. And it probably cost Liverpool that they didn't have that last year. And the players that they do have in reserve, like Naby Keita, Oxlane Chamberlain, Jern Shakiri were picking up injuries. Is it just a case of the grass is always greener? Like if we had... Shakiri injury-free, Oxlade-Chamberlain, injury-free for a full season. And they're coming in, there was a bit more rotation. You could really see what they're about. Would they be suitable replacements as these alternatives to uh, these lesser players like Ziyech at Chelsea? They've got talent. That's why they're at the club. They've done all this uh, ability for them in the past. Like Shakiri's won them games. Oxlade-Chamberlain's won them games. We know there is a player somewhere inside Naby We just need to see it consistently. And then it's what do Liverpool do? Like they've got to either stick or twist on these players now because they can't just keep them as these squad options hoping that they can finally step up and stay injury-free 
if they keep picking up the injuries. But that means the transfer fee is going to go down. And if the transfer fee for them is going down and they can't move them on and they're stuck in that position where they can't bring in new players to replace them, and then it comes to the, the actual first choice front three, you're in that position where you have to sell Salah when, or Mane when the price is at its highest so you can refinance the whole side again. And I know FSG gets stick, but that's their way of doing things, that they won't just go, right, here, uh, Jürgen, here's 200 million, go and add to what you've already got. But they've never done that. Like You think when they signed Luis Suarez, it was off the back of selling Torres. When they signed Van Dijk and Allison, it was off the back of selling Coutinho. It might not be popular, but it has kept them within the reach of Manchester City. It has won them the Premier League. It has won them the Champions League. And if it hadn't been for COVID last season and the pandemic, they would have been close to the title with all the injuries. They should have been in a title race last season, and they were for the first half of it before it all came unstuck. They just need to find a way to stay on that level, play, level, play, level playing field. Got there. <laughs> They've got the talent. They just need to see what they can do. Like, it doesn't matter who they sign. That front three is very hard to improve on. Playing devil's advocate then, Marcus, and Liverpool Sports may be listening to this and knowing that FSG do have money, they're obviously in it to, to make money themselves, but football fans don't care about that. They want to see their team winning. Why can't Liverpool compete for Harry Kane? Yeah, that, that is obviously... The debate that rages on, but you know, it's it's clear for all to see, as, as Theo said, that FSG's model is sustainability and you know, not taking money out of the club, not necessarily investing masses of it, but you know, any any money that Liverpool made is reinvested. Whether that model's sustainable for, you know, um year after year challenging the likes of Man City, I don't think it is. And whether that's on that, you know, they need to look at changing, especially like like we mentioned before, all arrivals are, are make are looking to make statements in the transfer market and it's it's looking like next year's title could be you know more competitive than it has been in other years, and and whether that signals a change of maybe maybe needing you know to inject a bit more cash to allow Klopp to because no no one can argue that Liverpool haven't been successful under FSG and 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 their model, but I don't know how much is that is down to the model or to the fact that they've got a manager like Jurgen Klopp who's capable of of working with you know what he's got, and and, and obviously Klopp Klopp likes having a small squad and and working with the players and, and, and rather developing players and bringing the best out of those already at the club. But I think we are reaching that that point now where, you know, three or four players, really quality squad options to replace the likes of Origi, Shaqiri, who maybe haven't been available or, you know, hitting the heights that squad players really need to do is is what Liverpool needs to to close that gap to City, especially if, if they are going to go and spend up 250 million on two world-class players. Liverpool are going to need options and, is it going to be enough to rely on on those in 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 reserve and as as Klopp has done in the past, you know, players like James Milner, you know, filling in at right back if, if Nico Williams leaves, you know, are we gonna are we gonna go into another season with, you know, saying he can do a job there, he can do a job there, rather than going out and buying four three or four quality players who can come in, give those who are who are starting a bit of a boost and and give Klopp some options going forward. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a case of cementing Liverpool's status. They've maybe punched above their weight to get to over the last few years. But anyway, let's move on to sort of our final point. I suppose key to it all as well, uh, Lynchy, will be sort of preparation and getting everything prepared to go for next season. And key to that, pre-season plans and the little matter of the Olympics. And you can tell us Ibrahim Kanate, Takumi Minamino and Mohamed Salah are all were sort of being spoken about of going away to the Olympics, but Liverpool putting their foot down, aren't they? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's you know a lesser case maybe of, of Liverpool just outright saying no. I think you know the, the way it was put to me is that you know this has been ongoing discussions really with not not just the players' representatives and the players themselves, but also you know the national FAs and, and Liverpool. You know they like to take a light touch in these matters because there's no point turning it into a you know a battle or a confrontation. I think you know with the case of maybe Canate probably been a, quite an easier sell just because. I know the French FA are actually having a bit of trouble trying to get squad together because it's not a FIFA tournament. You know, clubs can just outright say no. So, you know, in the case of France, maybe the Olympics is not seen as, as hugely important. I think with Minamino, obviously, he would have liked to have maybe gone gone to Tokyo and play in the home Olympics. But I think their three that they were going to pick has been settled for quite some time now. And, and, and Minamino, I think maybe he's got this summer so I think that's taken precedence and, and with Salah I think that that was maybe the, the most difficult conversation because I think to Egypt and you can see from the the, the FA the Egyptian FA president's uh, words recently that, that that actually means a lot to them this this Olympics and that you know they do want their their star player there but I think you know with it being an AFCON year I think Liverpool have just said look you know it's just not realistic for us to lose you for pre-season and probably the start of the season and then and then we've got to lose you in January as well and I think the players probably been accepting of that as well I think the AFCON has got to take precedence in 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 that sort of situation and, and that's been the way it's been discussed I don't think there's been any sort of standoff I don't think there's any you know bad blood between players and clubs because of how this has panned out I think just you know adult conversations basically about and being realistic about how this is going to work and I think for Salah you know in another year maybe he could have made the case to go but with him with him being missing in January it's, it was just never realistic and I think that's been accepted for a while even though you know like I say the Egyptian FA president has said that, that Salah will make a final push I think both you know every side that's involved in it knows that, that that's not going to happen yeah, and it, it, I suppose, then goes to highlight the point, Theo, that we sort of immediately quash any of those sort of rumour mill chats of Mohamed Salah not being sort of contented at, at Liverpool and things, that if he is completely obviously on board with this decision, as Dave says he is, he's going to be sort of primary to Liverpool trying to get this title back. Yeah, definitely. Like He's been a key goal threat ever since he has joined the club. It's one where you look at the situation... What chance did Egypt realistically have of going and winning the Olympics? They've got strong competition there. I think he played in the 2012 Olympics in the in London, and they didn't get anywhere close to that gold medal. But he's captain of the national team now, I think. So Africa Cup of Nations, he'll be trying to win that instead. I know he's got great pride in representing Egypt, but that one has got to be more important for him than trying to get an Olympic gold medal. And I think it's probably for the best room to, if you're going to have that disruption, granted, I know with the Cup of Nations, we're saying that's only missing two Premier League games, but it's very much a big ask to go all the way to Japan, where I don't think they're letting fans in for the Olympics, are they? So it's still a bit dodgy with the pandemic. And like, granted, Euro 2020 has gone ahead with fans and there haven't been too many slip-ups there. It seems to be all going quite smoothly. But then you compare it to Brazil and the Copa America, where you've had host countries have had that taken them off them because of the pandemic where it probably shouldn't be in Brazil because they've got such high rates at the moment. I think if Liverpool could have had a, a choice, they'd have probably said to the three Brazilian boys, you're not going to the Copa America just because of the whole health around it as well and their safety. And there are just so many uncertain things that have happened in the past year that you can see why they've taken this decision to protect their players. And it does make sense from each on an individual basis. Like Minamino, that's the one that surprises me just because it's in Tokyo and you think you'd want to play for them. He's not had much football at Southampton or at Liverpool. 
but with Canate, he played in the under-21s as well, didn't he, earlier in the summer? Granted, it wasn't as long as he would have liked. They got knocked out early on in the knockout stages, but he's still going to a new club and he needs to settle in. It's going to be such an important pit spell for Liverpool to have this full pre-season with the majority of the squad, where it's only going to be a few of the Europeans and the, uh, the Brazilian lads. Most of that spine is still going to be there, thanks to Van Dijk coming back from injury, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane still being there. It's just an important time for Liverpool for them to take that uh, first step in the title race. They can't sacrifice it just to keep Mohamed Salah a little bit happy about a medal that he probably won't win. Fair point at the end there. Marcus, <laughs> it's only seven weeks now till the Premier League season starts. I, I can't wait for it to, to get underway now. And, but it is all about sort of the, the, the preparation and planning that Liverpool put in even prior to getting back for pre-season. Yeah, and we, we we know how much you know Klopp values a preseason, especially with with his new signings, which which I think would be huge for Ibrahim Kanate, because he you know we don't know exactly what role he's going to play, but if, if Liverpool spend thirty six million on a centre back, you think he's he's probably going to start or at least be in contention with with Van Dijk and Gomez for a starting spot, and we also don't know like as Theo mentioned earlier, you know how matter Van Dijk and uh, and Gomez are going to recover from these long term injuries, so it could well be the case that. Canate finds himself as as a first choice centre back on on the opening day of the season, and I think pre season will be crucial into how Van Dijk and Gomez specifically after after such a long layoff will recover and and if 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 you know if they can Liverpool can work the magic in in pre season and get those two you know fit and ready for the first game of the season with the possibility of Canate starting alongside them, getting Thiago in you know and and because I think I think next season for Thiago is going to be the big one where we really see him. In that side with Van Dijk and Gomez back and really get the best out of Thiago, I think it's going to be, it's going to be crucial for Liverpool to hit the ground running and and, and really send a strong message at the start of the season. Like you know, last season was a fluke. The, like the boys are back, sort of thing. Everyone's back and fit and ready, and and, and let's let's have another go at the title. Yeah, seven weeks to go. Can't wait for it. Let's wait and see if Liverpool can indeed mount that title challenge and wrestle back their Premier League crown from Manchester City. That's it from us for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Don't forget you can find a link to our Blood Red club in the uh, description of the podcast. Do just click through to there. Send in your uh, email address and our exclusive Blood Red Club content will find its way directly to your inbox each week. But from myself, Guy Clark, David Lynch, Theo Squires and Marcus Banks, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.